The Antichrist, what will he be like, and why will so many be amazed by him and adore him? Let's look into that today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Well, we are knee-deep in a study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Glad you could take time out of your day to join us. Pastor Ed Taylor will be covering Daniel chapters 7 and 8, as well as Revelation 13. We've been getting to know the Antichrist in recent programs, and today we're going to see that people by and large will adore and worship him during the Great Tribulation. Of course, God alone is worthy of that. So why will so many give to him what God alone deserves? Let's talk about it right now. Well, we are studying through the book of Daniel verse by verse, learning from Daniel, great insights, not only on the person of Daniel, but on the prophecies of Daniel. So if you would, take your Bibles and open them to Revelation chapter 13. As we're pausing in this section, we just finished chapter 8 in Daniel. And we were introduced in chapter 7 and 8 to a, a character that we know as the Antichrist. We know he's a man, except that we don't know his exact name, but we know he's a man. And in our last study, we covered quite a bit of territory looking at this interesting character. He is real. He's predicted. We know him to be Satan's false messiah. He's an imitation of Jesus himself. And remember we learned that the prefix anti has two meanings. It means in place of and against. And this world leader who will come on the scene in the last seven years of world history that the Bible declares in the New Testament as the great tribulation period. In the Old Testament, it's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. This new world order will be ushered in by him. It will include a one world government, a one world religious system, a one-world monetary system, which you may be familiar with whenever the term mark of the beast is mentioned. The mark of the beast is, a, is while it is, it is required to participate in the uh, financial system, it's a spiritual decision. It will be a spiritual decision to side with the Antichrist. And although we don't know his exact name, throughout the Bible, there's about 50 different titles that are given to the Antichrist, like the son of perdition. He's known as the wicked one, as the seed of the serpent. And interestingly enough, it's from John himself that we learn the term Antichrist. We looked at it last time. I'll read it to you. First John chapter 2 verse 18 says, Dear children, the last hour is here, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. So he refers to the one as capital A Antichrist, and yet there are many operating in a spirit of being against Jesus Christ or trying to replace Jesus Christ with false teachings and false religions. And he says, from this we know that the last hour has come. And so the last time we were together, we studied the Antichrist's appearance, we studied his authority, and we studied his amazement. 
And so today we want to go into his adoration. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 13 by way of review. This is Revelation chapter 13. As then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Verse 3. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. And the whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And the beast there was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. And that is those who dwell in heaven. Verse 7. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. So let's look at his adoration in verse 4 and verse 8. Come back with verse 4 for a moment. It says that they worshipped the dragon. They gave him the adoration that belongs only to God. They worship the dragon that we know already is the devil. There, were, there is true devil worship during the last seven years of human history for giving the beast such power. And they worshiped the beast. We know as the Antichrist saying, who is this, who is great as the beast? They exclaimed, who is able to fight against him? And then jump at verse eight. It says, all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. The Antichrist was so convincing that those that belong to this world, which would refer to those that have rejected God, rejected Jesus as their Messiah, they take that worship, you know, because your desire to worship, you will worship someone in something. If you choose to reject Jesus Christ, that desire to worship will be directed somewhere else. And throughout the life of the dragon, he receives worship. People are aligned with the devil. And that's what he's wanted all along. Would you turn back to Isaiah for a moment? In Isaiah chapter 14, worship as God is what he's desired all along. This is something that he's wanted, and it's the very thing that got him kicked out of heaven. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter 14, and pick up there in verse 12. Isaiah 14 verse 12. He says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. 
Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one, verse 17, who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king, notice little k, is this the king who demolished the world's greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? You see, the devil, this perfect angel, was first in heaven under God. Some believe that he was the leader of worship or in charge of the angels and their adoration of God. But he didn't like not being God. And we gain insight in Isaiah 14 that his pride rose up within him and caused a great rebellion. It's always been the desire of the dragon to be on top. It's always been the desire of the dragon to receive that focused worship and to be adored. And ever since he was kicked out of heaven, he's wanted to climb the ladder and be first in the hearts and the minds of men. He he's wants that attention. He, devil worship is alive and well. But it's not some fringe element just to a few, you know, a few people on the side that dress differently and put different makeup on. Devil worship can be said to be the antithesis of rejecting God, the exact opposite of following God. The antithesis of following God is the rejection of God. And the Bible says, describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this age. And so much that's going on in the world today has its roots in the demonic. How, how the world system, as we learned last time, that threefold enemy that we have as believers. We face the, the perils of the world system that we're in, that we live in. We face the perils and the attacks of our flesh and our humanity and the weakness of our flesh. And we face the perils of the devil himself. Now, I don't really think that I've ever faced the devil head on. I don't think that I face the devil head on as if he shows up to tempt me all the time. I think that his time is spent with men and women that have far more influence to, that he would take down and would influence far more people. But I'll tell you what, I've dealt with the demonic before. Have you? Anybody felt a demonic attack on your life? And just like an overwhelming sense of evil and evil's presence? I've certainly felt that and experienced that. And ever since the devil was kicked out of heaven, he's wanted that place of prominence. And so the people's amazement here and the people's adoration is what he's wanted. In fact, there are many that believe that the Antichrist himself will be the devil incarnate on the earth, which is an interesting thing to consider, that he'll be the devil in human flesh. The devil is not satisfied with attention. He wants worship. He wants to displace Jesus Christ and be back first in line. And for a time period, he succeeds in many ways. Would you turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He wants to displace Jesus. He wants to be first in line. Pick up with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 1. It says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let's clarify some things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we'll be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord had already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. 
He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. We have another description of what will happen through the deception of the Antichrist here in 2 Thessalonians. He says, verse 5, don't you guys remember that I told you all about this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back for he can only be revealed when this time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. Verse 9. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. We looked at that a little bit last time because of that deadly wound. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. So lies surround the Antichrist and many people will believe his lies. But I don't believe that those lies are like a bunch of different lies, but I believe they're rooted in a lie. Now we already know Jesus declared straight up that the devil's a liar. He doesn't tell the truth. He's a liar. And he has been, Jesus said, from the beginning. What does the devil lie about? He lies to people about God and gets people confused about the character, the nature, the care, the concern of God. So much of the Bible in its revelation of the character of God has everything to do with getting our eyes centered and focused on the reality of who God is, no matter how we feel. Because the circumstances in life can really mess with our feelings. And if we're not careful, our perceptions and feelings will be that barrier and we'll start to project them upon. I was just reading Pastor Chuck Smith in his book on faith, entitled Faith. I was just reading this section where he said, and I, I'll summarize it. He talked about how when we face these major limitations in our lives, it's very easy for us to project those limitations upon God. And then we're kind of feeling like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't have any, I have no power. I have no help. And then we look up to God and we go, well, you know what? If I can't do it, I'm not sure if God can do it. And we begin to project our own human limitations upon the limitless God. And so the lies that the devil tells us, they're really centered about, around who God is. His grace and his mercy and his character. But you know, God, the devil also inspires lies about ourselves. Uh, really stirring up pride perhaps in our lives or thinking we're more important than we should be or allowing that, that situation where, you know, one of the biggest lies I see among believers is carrying this weight of condemnation around from past sins. When the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ, but we believe the lie. Maybe someone's withholding forgiveness from you right now and you're just living with that and, and you're kind of taking that as if, well, you know, if I don't experience forgiveness in the human realm, then God must not forgive me either. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, those that are called according, those that love him. He lies to us about God. He lies to us about ourselves. He lies to us about our origin. I mean, isn't the biggest theory today about the origin of man just the biggest nonsensical lie that you can think of? 
And, and it just changes from year to year. It changes from textbook to textbook. It, it, no, don't worry. You're, you didn't come from a creator God who is made in God's image and accountable to God. You started in a pile of doo-doo, you know, or whatever. You started in a mud thing. Some big bang happened somewhere at some time. And how many years ago? And no, you and I were created in the image of God. We we're accountable to God. We are accountable to his care and concern. A real God sent a real Savior to deal with the real sin in your life and mine. To rescue us and free us and forgive us. But the devil loves to inspire lies about where we've come from. And sometimes it starts in our own families. Maybe we don't buy into the idea of evolution, but it's our own families. And we all grew up, you know, this whole um, idea of dysfunctional families. Um, and that's a big deal today. And, and I know some of you, when you hear that word, you go, well, Ed, you're describing my family. But, but it's not just your family. You realize that, right? Because of sin, we all grew up in a dysfunctional family. And by the way, the family that you're raising right now, that's dysfunctional too. We haven't tasted the fullness of God's perfection yet. We're growing and being, we're being discipled. And some of you might be unconvinced. Maybe parents, I'd say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not, my family's not dysfunctional like the one I grew up in. And to that we say, amen. But have you ever failed your kids? Yeah. Was that functional or dysfunctional? Like sin is in our home. Sin is in our parenting. Sin is in our marriage. But the lie is, is that your family is so bad that you're going to be damaged for life, that there's no hope for you that there's no possibility to change, that you'll be under the weight of the way you were raised or the way you thought. You know, some of you grew up going, I will never be like my mom. And guess who you, rep who you reflect at times? Your mom or your dad. That's how you were raised. And then you get that glimpse of it and it's just overwhelming and you start to believe the lie and begin to think, well, maybe I am just like my mom. No, you're not. You're like you are. And God's in work in your heart and in your mind. You're, the Bible says that that's the work of God's sanctification, that you're being changed from glory to glory and strength to strength, that, that the goal for you and me is not to be like someone we admire. The goal for you and me is we're being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, very much into his image. So what? He tells us lies all the time about our origins, where we come from. He, he tells us lies that you'll never be any good. You'll never make it. You'll never, you'll never, never, never. No. My Bible says that what's impossible with man is possible with God. So whatever God has told me, I'm never. I know that if it's his will, he'll get me there. That there is a way. God makes a way where there is no way. And he's able to get me. But we believe the lies and we stunt our spiritual growth. And we stay stuck. Another lie is that our enemies are people. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says they wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against power, principalities and powers. That it's a spiritual battle that can only be won with spiritual weapons. That'll be the next time we're in Daniel. Because the spiritual weapon that Daniel used the most? Prayer. You'll find an example in Daniel's life in the next chapter of a man that was committed to two things. Prayer and the Word of God. Read ahead. You'll see that he was inspired and stirred by the writings of Jeremiah. Like, like that affected him. And it enlivened his prayer life. I mean, we, there's all sorts of lies that, that we face. But there's only one lie at the root of it all. There's a lot of lies swirling around our lives. But there's only one lie. And that is that there is no one true God. That's the lie. I mean, if you believe that there is no God, the Bible not only says that you're foolish, the fool said in his heart there is no God. That's a foolish thing to believe, but it will skew every other decision you make.
And you go, but, but Ed, we're believers. We're repenting of our sins. We follow Jesus. There's no way I believe that lie. Well, at times, I'm sure there is. Every time you take things into your own hands, you displace God in your life for that season. Anytime you begin to doubt that God is sovereign and working all things together, like that's the lie. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me in Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that lies and deception are surrounding the end times, especially the coming of the Antichrist. Come back with me to verse 4 in chapter 13, where the question is asked, who is as great as the beast? Now, this, these are the people living on the earth at the time. Who's like the beast? Who is able to fight against him? It, it sounds familiar. You Bible students, these phrases sound familiar of the worship that God receives from his people. You can just jot them down. I'll read them to you. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Psalm 35, 10. Lord, who can compare with you? Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? And notice what they say to the Antichrist. Who is as great as the beast? Who is able to fight against him? He's worshiped. You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's been describing the worship the Antichrist will receive during the Great Tribulation. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Max Licato called In the Grip of Grace. The message of the world is try harder and work smarter. You've got it in you. You can do it. But the message of the Bible is something entirely different. In essence, we're told stop striving and being self-sufficient, but rather land in the arms of a God who loves you and be refreshed by His grace. Dive deep into the riches of God's grace as you read In the Grip of Grace. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. We want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses too. And that's our prayer. It's our heart's desire. If you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we would sure appreciate it. This would be a good time to hear from you. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com or, again, call 877-30-GRACE. So, Pastor Ed, I wanted to take a minute or two to let our listeners know about a podcast that you've been doing. It's called Lead to Serve. Can you give our listeners an idea of what you've been talking about in recent weeks? Yeah, Larry, we launched Lead to Serve here. It's L-E-A-D, the number two, serve. It's all one word, Lead to Serve. You can subscribe to it on any podcast delivery from Apple to Spotify. Anywhere you get podcasts, it's available. And it is, it is my attempt to sit down with you, the listener, and talk ministry. It, a lot of the podcasts, a lot of the discussions come from our staff meeting. They come from our discipleship in the school of ministry. 
I uh, happen to be a very practical, applicational teacher. That's lead to serve. It's more conversational. On occasion, I'll interview someone. We've done a series, and we're continuing to add to that series, having uh, discussions about race and the racial tensions with some uh, black pastor friends of mine, uh, just listening to them, getting in on the dialogue, how we can uh, greatly affect our culture with the Word of God. And lately, I've been talking about leadership in covid I just dropped not too long ago an episode that I did a staff, pastor, staff discipleship, and I turned it into a podcast, kind of edited it a little bit, but it was all about what's expected of leaders during this time. There's so many examples, so many opinions, so much, uh, you know, so much attention given to one particular side or the other. What are we supposed to do with masks and open and closing churches, and what's our attitude supposed to be? I spent a good half hour uh, talking about that. So I, it's really to develop you in your ministry, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, uh, the idea of uh, whether you're a CEO or you drive a delivery truck or you work at your local supermarket, it doesn't matter where you are. You are a leader and a servant in the sphere that God has given you. And I want to take the Bible and put the principles down in relatable, accessible ways so that we can all serve the Lord better. And whether you're a pastor in a church or a leader in the church or any sphere of life you're in, I know God will use it. Lead to serve. It's all one word. L-E-A-D, the number two, serve. Uh, you can put my name in. Ed Taylor will probably pop up anywhere you get your podcast. Subscribe and tell a friend. So look for Lead to Serve wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will resume our series in Daniel on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.